RadioInfluence.com. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening in. I'm Gary Benford, host of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford, and this is my debut podcast. I do this first and foremost to the glory of God and for family, country, and constitution. This podcast can be heard, available for download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Radio Influence, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. A great way to show your support for the show is by subscribing to the podcast, leaving a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. So are you with me, America? If so, strap on your helmet and take up your shield, because we're in a war for the soul of our nation, and we're not about to lose. Socialism, not in our America, not on our watch. No way, no shape, no how. We're going to hit the ground running today by delving deeply into several issues critical to our nation. I'm speaking about the devastating effect of Hollywood, the latest insidious evil, critical race theory, the truth about COVID and the vaccine, and what should we make of all this election fraud allegation and election integrity with a stellar array of renowned guests. Morgan Brittany, the former star actress from Dallas. Dr. Carol Swain, Uncovered DC editor Tracy Beans and Dr. Linda Lee Tarver. That's all coming up shortly. But before we go there, I must go here. I want to thank talk radio show host James Bostic, who 18 months ago convinced me to have my own radio show. James became the producer of my show, which carries this same name, which aired live as live can be bi-weekly starting in June of 2020. Sincere thanks also to Mark Hoffman for giving me a platform on his Patriot Nation radio network for it to air. Also, because of this time of the year, I want to, you know, our hearts get broken every time 9-11 shows up, but that World Trade Center murder, and that's exactly what it was, people, it was a murder. Because when something is premeditated and you're intentionally trying to kill people, that's murder. You know, my hearts go out to the people who were lost, uh, some I knew. Hearts go out to their families. Hearts go out to first responders and to the uh, police and everyone who rallied in New York, where I live, to deal with such a such a tragedy. And this hit this hit close to home for me, people, because my former wife, she was she was in uh, building number two. And for some reason, and I say it's the grace of God, she changed her routine that day. Normally, she would go to her go to her desk at one Wall Street or I think one or two Wall Street. She'd go up, I think, sixth floor. I'm not sure the floor, but she'd go put her stuff in. Then she'd go leave the building, go across the street to a bodega, get her coffee and then go back. For some reason, she she did not go to her office first. She went to the bodega first. By that time, the plane had hit building number one. The barrier was up when she came out, so she could not go back into the building when barrier number when plane number two hit. Eventually, her and a lot of other people were 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 warded into an underground bank vault. And they had no idea what was going on. She saw people flying out of buildings and falling and landing on cars. But she had no idea what was going on because there's so much smoke. And they heard all these bombs exploding, sounding like bombs. And she thought we were in a war. And then eventually they herded them out 
of that bank vault and took them across the Brooklyn Bridge by foot. And she remembers looking back and seeing both towers uh, on flame, aflame. And then when she got to the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge and turned back and looked, they were gone. Most chilling thing she ever saw. So uh, my heart goes out to everybody, everybody who was involved in those those happenings, those days, and we must never, never forget, people. Now, on to what we're here for in this first show. Gotta say, people, we are in the war of our lives, America. One that will determine the fate of our way of life, our existence as we know it. This war hasn't gotten physical, at least not yet. It's not being decided by guns. To the contrary, it's being waged in an insidious manner in our minds. They're seeking to hammer us into submission through the system they've rigged to defeat us in the arena of ideas. I say rigged, fixed, because these Marxists are in control of far too many of our pivotal institutions, our public schools, colleges and universities, the media, the entertainment industries, even our evangelical churches. And tonight we are going to discuss several critical issues to this nation that have to be dealt with right here, right now. And we're gonna do it on United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. All right, for my next guest, if I read all of her credits in more than 60 years in an actress, and that she started at seven, so don't try and make her older than she is. We'd have to say, uh, thank you for appearing on the show. Thank you and good night. But so I'm not even gonna throw all of that out because we have too much to talk about. All I will say is that Morgan Brittany is known probably most for being on Dallas. Uh, Julia Wentworth, uh, uh, Catherine Wentworth, she's known for trying to get rid of Bobby Ewing, Patrick Ducky, Duffy, at least three times. And, but more important, she is the co-owner of the website Politichicks with Anne-Marie Murrell, a conservative website and blog center. And she was on my very first live radio show, along with uh, actor Nick Searcy, uh, Burgess Owens, who hadn't yet run for Congress, and uh, the Agenda movie documentary movie filmmaker Curtis Bowers. So I am so happy to have her back. She was on my live show four times, and boy, does she have a lot to say. I am elated to have on my first broadcast as my first guest, Morgan Brittany. Well, it is a pleasure. Believe me, it is a pleasure. We've had such great conversations and and solved so many of the world's problems. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, we've solved the problem, but the key is, can you get those people out in Hollywood to pay attention to what we've been saying? Oh, I'm telling you, it is it is such an uphill battle out here. It's just crazy. I mean, right now, of course, um, I, I don't know when your podcast airs, but um, we are we have a recall election out here for Gavin Newsom, and Larry Elder, who is um, you know the GOP candidate, is running a pretty 
pretty, pretty close uh, right yes. on Gavin's heels. I noticed. And it looks pretty good for Larry to end up in Sacramento, which would just change the state like you can't believe. So I was actually laughing because I wanted to tell you this morning, I, I went on a website and it says, Hollywood is panicking over the recall. And I, fli- I, I flipped over to see that. And of course, it's the, you know, the, the, the cast of characters that you always see and always hear about the, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin's and all these people um, telling everybody, oh, my gosh, it's panic time. It's going to this state will be destroyed. This is a matter of life and death. Vote, vote, you know, on the recall. Vote no on the recall. Vote no on the. I mean, they are just at the end of their ropes. They're so panicked. Well, I got a, I have a, a, a question I have to ask you, and I hate asking this question because I've asked it of you four times previously. After all that has happened, after they've seen what Gulag Gavin has done to the state, after all that has happened in the country, they still don't get it? Nobody ever said they were bright. Uh, most of the people that are you know actors now believe me I've been an actor my entire life and I tried to get a college education at one point when my childhood career ended and and I went to university for just a very brief uh, episode and I had to I realized that I had to make a living so I had to drop out most people who end up becoming actors or musicians or anybody within the industry they run to Hollywood and they they leave their education behind so like I said I've worked with a lot of people that seriously you cannot have a conversation like they would be lost if if uh, if you were talking to them, they wouldn't know what was going on. They only know what CNN tells them, what the 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 leftist media tells them, and they follow. And the strange thing, Gary, is that they are sheep. Of course, they're told what to do all the time. They're dressed up. They're fed a script that other people write. They speak that script, and they have no real feelings on their own, so they just follow the pack, and they do whatever they think is going to benefit their career or their prestige or whatever it is. I mean, I thought about this for the longest time because there's, there's a lot of us you know, in Hollywood, like Nick, Cersei who literally you can sit down and he knows every single thing about every single thing going on today in the world and can name names and countries. That's a big difference. That's not the majority in Hollywood. So I look at these people and I think to myself, they're just... They're just not informed. They're really, really not. They're only listening and they're going by their feelings and their emotions and how they feel about a certain thing. And they buy into all this stuff. It just boggles the mind when you think about it. And I mean, the, the, the people across this country that I run into and talk to, ju- I mean, n- people... 
that they have everyday jobs in, in everyday businesses are much more intelligent than the Hollywood crowd. So it, 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 how they think that people are going to listen to them when they say vote, you know, vote no on the recall, it's people across this country, they look at that and they go, really? Why should I listen to you? Just shut up and act or shut up and sing. We don't want to hear your political views. I never was political until I got out of the business. I never put any of my political views out there until I knew that I was no longer going to ask people to pay to see me because I knew there were lots of Democrats. There were lots of liberals that loved Dallas and I didn't want to have anybody, you know, kind of skew their opinions of the character that I was playing just because I was a conservative. So I stayed very, very quiet. And then I finally closed the door on Hollywood and then I was able to say what I needed to say. I think that's probably the best way to do it. And there are many, many actors, many liberal actors who do stay silent. They don't say anything, but you know, yeah. there's a lot yeah. that, that yeah. there's a lot that do. So right, and you got a lot of conservative actors that that say silent too. So let's yeah. let's yeah. This is going to be uh, this is going to be a culture shock for a lot of people. But take them back to what Hollywood was like when you started and give them a picture when you were doing Sea Hunt for Lloyd Bridges and the Andy Griffin <laughs> show and doing the Twilight Zone and uh, you were Opie's first girlfriend on the Andy Griffin show and you, you gave Jackie Cooper a hard time on Caesar and me <laughs> on the Twilight Zone. Right. By, by, by right. the way, it's, it's interesting. My three favorite shows of all time, I don't think you were on any of them. The original black and white Perry Mason uh, the Wild Wild West with Robert Conrad and Murder, She Wrote with uh, Angela Lansbury. I, I don't oh, think. No. Yes, I did. You were on it. I you were did. on Murder, She Wrote. I did two episodes of Murder, She Wrote with I'll Angela. I'll have And then to I did look. the new, the new Perry Mason. I didn't do the old one in black and white, but I, right. I did the, the, uh, the new Perry Mason. Yeah, well, so the only one I missed. <laughs> the only Robert one I missed Conrad, is Wild yeah. Wild West. Oh, you would have been great on the Wild Wild West. I'm sure <laughs> I love Robert that Conrad, show. I'm sure Robert Conrad would have loved trying to rescue you <laughs> out of some, the clutches of some evil genius. But please tell them what Hollywood used to be like, because I think a lot of people that don't know just just see it for what it is, and they don't realize how far it slid. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very true. Um, I started in uh, in in fifty nineteen fifty six, I think, and you know, television back then was very very new, and a lot of live television, which which I did. But you know, when you when you worked in the industry, the studios, the studio system back then, MGM, Paramount, um, uh, Fox, they were all run by movie moguls. They were run by mostly European guys that had come over here, loved America, worshipped America, wanted to put out a great product. And uh, and so what they what their whole ideal was was we've got this new technology that that you know to get people and actors into people's homes 
we have to make product that is going to be acceptable to these people, that's going to be entertaining, that's going to be, you know, a good story. It's going to give a good message. If you, I mean, a lot of the people today don't really remember the shows like The Rifleman with Chuck Connors and Father Knows Best with Robert Young, My Three Sons, which I did. Every single one of those shows, with whether it was 30 minutes or 60 minutes long, had a message, a family, a, a something that you, you walked away at the end of of the show and you felt good. Of course, people had problems back then. Of course, families had dysfunction. But when you looked at the TV, you saw that there was hope, that there was something good to hang on to. There were, there were morals and values and things that we all kind of gathered around in America. When I did the Andy Griffith show, I loved doing the Andy Griffith show. And that was one of the episodes where I was not a good guy. I was a girl, you know, that was very much into being with the popular boy and I ended up flipping poor, poor Opie on his head, you know, and, and, and yet, you know, at the end of the show, it shows that I was wrong. I saw the error of my ways. He wins out after a speech from his dad, from Andy, where they have this heart to heart about, you know, this is what you need to do. You need to stand up. You need to go to that party. Even if she's there with somebody else, you go to that party and you show that it doesn't matter. And I thought to myself, this is great. I love doing this. And and most every television show, and I'm talking about up to about, I want to say the late 60s, because then it started to turn. That's when the movie industry really started pushing <clears throat> a liberal progressive agenda. It was, of course... You know, the hippie generation, it was free love, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and they were saying, oh, this is what people want to see. Well, it wasn't what people wanted to see, and that's when, in the early 70s, the movie studios closed. They went bankrupt. 20th Century Fox sold off their back lot, their studio, MGM liquidated everything at the MGM auction, every costume, every everything they had they liquidated the back lots and they put up you know condominiums on the back lots but the movies realized that they were dying because they weren't offering product that anyone wanted to see the same thing was being pushed in hollywood and they and the liberals you gotta give them credit they're not stupid they realized that under the guise of some comedy shows they could push characters and agendas that would make people more familiar with their ideas. If you remember Archie Bunker. Yes, and George and Jefferson. Exactly, and George yeah. and Maud with the right. abortion and all this kind of stuff. And they started pushing and pushing and pushing. <clears throat> there was, yes, people enjoyed those shows. They liked them. 
and they still lived their lives the way they wanted to live their lives. But it was this subliminal message that was creeping in. Yeah. Um, then the producers realized that a lot of they weren't making as much money, <clears throat> and the shows that ended up making a lot of money and getting a lot of advertising and moving to the top were um, shows like The Brady Bunch and The Partridge Family and Highway to Heaven and uh, Touched by an Angel. And these were shows that, Holly, and I will never forget, this is a little bit later on, this was, this was more recently, I'll never forget my husband came home from a production meeting the, the weekend that The Passion of the Christ came out in theaters and he had a production meeting the next morning at the studio and he said they were all sitting around a table looking at the over you know the the weekend box Mm -hmm. and their reaction was what who goes who 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 wants to see this stuff that's incredible and jack came home and told me that and I said, they really don't know who their audience is, do they? They really don't know. Do you think they and care so they, now? Do you think they care? They d- Look no, at where they, they don't are. care. Look at where we are. No, they don't care. They put out. They put out whatever they want. They have. They have doubled down, and they have become an absolute, uh, uh, just, just full force into their agenda. And the Democrat agenda and the liberal agenda and the Marxist agenda. They don't care about us anymore. And one of the main reasons is because the, the domestic audience in this country doesn't really matter anymore. It's China. It's India. It's Europe. It's all of Asia, really. That's all they care about. Their box office is bigger overseas than domestic, and they don't care anymore about us. Morgan, how dangerous is this? In other words, how dangerous is the message that they perpetuated for 50 years, which in the naked communists, uh, uh, they, they, one of the goals was to get control of radio, television, motion pictures to push that agenda, you know, like a boiling frog or like a football yard by yard, uh, temperature by temperature. How dangerous is this? to the American people because people watch these shows and they watch these movies, even going back in the day to like a show like Married with Children that made the male character Al Bundy seem like a stumbling, bumbling boob and the woman right. to be the smart, you know, they've, they, they've, there, there's been this total agenda. How, where do you think we are with this? Well, it's, it's, uh, I try to, I don't like a lot of the stuff that I have to watch, but I, like I have the net, I have the Netflix thing and I have, of course, Disney that's completely gone out of its mind. Disney, I mean, to make princesses and princes, homosexual characters now, um, it's, it just, it, it just boggles the mind. It really does. Um, I, I know what they're doing because my husband brings home scripts all the time. I see what they're doing. Tell them who your husband. Tell them who your husband Jack oh, Gill is. Jack Gill is a, a one of the top 
uh, second unit directors and stunt coordinators in Hollywood and has been for the past, you know, 15, 20 years. He started out on the Dukes of Hazard and Knight Rider, if you mm-hmm. remember those. Yeah, doing those stunts. Um, and, he was a stunt man. Yeah, he was a stunt guy and he drove all the cars and he did all that, you know, all that crazy stuff. But he moved into coordinating and now he just does, he just does films and he does mostly the films that are uh, action related, but we, he gets scripts all the time. And, you know, he looks at these and he goes, I just, I, I just can't believe this. You know, now Hollywood has literally gone to the studios and the unions out here and just absolutely said to everybody, all right, this is what we're going to do. And they're doing the critical race theory thing. It's like you, when you hire stunt people, we don't care if they're any good. They have to be diverse. And he's having a very hard time now because of the fact that there aren't that many qualified you know, ethnicities that can do different things that he needs, but the studio will come down on him and say, you have to hire that person. And he goes, but that person can't drive. That person can't do what my stunt guys can do. And, you know, I don't want to put people in danger. I don't want to do that. And they just had an accident recently on a show where they hired a girl who was a, who, you know, ethnic girl. And she had a motorcycle accident and caused a huge crash. Well, the stunt coordinator had told them she's not qualified and they forced him to use her. So this is what's happening in the industry. They don't care about ability. They don't care about anything. All they're caring about now is diversity. They don't even want you, if you're not really gay or trans, they won't allow you to play one. If you're, if you're literally an actor who wants to play a role like that, like what I believe um, Hillary Swank won an Academy Award for playing a, a woman who changed into a boy, and she's not allowed to do that anymore. Wow. Because they only want to hire the real person who can do it. And it's like Hollywood has lost its mind but it is so politically correct and has just fallen for every single one of these, these, you know, crazy ideas that even the people, the people who've been around a long time in the industry are just shaking their heads going, I would have never worked. You know, I mean, I played in Rawhide, uh, Apache Indian. There's no way I could play an Apache Indian. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hire me because I'm not really that. And I, I, I actually made a joke and I said, so I guess if you're playing a serial killer, you got to really be one, right? You know, yeah. and people are kind of like, well, actually, yes. And it just, it just is insanity. It's literal insanity. Well, Morgan, that is scary. My final question for you, and then you can tell people how they can reach you and what you're doing that you would want them to know about, is what do you want to say to Americans? See, I don't watch the movies and I don't watch TV that way. I haven't gone to a movie in 30 years, uh, so I, I, I don't support them. I went to see The Passion of the Christ. I'll support clean stuff, but I don't do that. 
What do you want to say to the American people because their kids are watching all these things, these Netflix and stuff? A lot of people have no idea that there is a subliminal political message going on that's no longer even subliminal. Oh, that's that's so true. And it's literally it's on the it's on their phones. It's on their iPads. It's in their school rooms. It's being it's being fed to them every day. I've got to tell you, people in this country are waking up due to covid and children being taught at home over the Internet and parents in the room that could walk by and hear what was going on. That opened up their that opened up their minds to wait a second. What did that teacher just say? What are you learning? So many parents are now going, okay, no, this is wrong. But you have to be so aware of what your children are consuming in the way of media. Because that is, and in in school, in university, everything, they have literally taken this and, and just brainwashed an entire, entire generations of kids. And this is what we're looking for. We're, we're looking at. We can stop it, though. And I believe that there is a reason that all of this is happening. I think there's a grand plan that we had to be awakened. We had to wake up and see this stuff. As bad as it is, as horrible as it is, it has to be exposed. The light has to shine on it. We need, as individuals, to shine that light on everybody we see. Have a conversation. Engage. Say, did you hear this? Did you know this? Most people don't know. And they need to know the truth. Pass along the truth, whatever it is, because I got shut down. Anne-Marie and I got shut down, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And now it's coming to light that everything we said and were shut down for was true. So we have to continue. That's the only way we're going to win this. Right. Well, tell them who Anne-Marie and you are as an entity and anything else that you would like to promote and how they can reach you. Well, I think if people want to go to our website, it's called politichicks.com. That's our website, and we run articles every day. Uh, I believe we still, we still have our Facebook page up. You can communicate with us through there. We do have to be very careful about what we say about COVID and things like that, and we can't talk about anything about the election being stolen. So we have to be extremely careful. Um, and Twitter's the same way. I'm at Morgan Brittany four with the, the number four. If you want to find me on Twitter and just ask me questions about Hollywood or whatever, I can get away with that. But we're going to try to get uh, places on either. We're going to talk to people about Rumble and Getter and and more of these. You know, if if people go to these sites, these other sites, even Odyssey and things like that. You you honestly listening to you. This is what they have to do. And then they have to promote you and say, hey, did you hear Gary? I've done this a million times through emails to people. And then they'll, you know, they'll link it up and listen to it. And they find something they really like. So that's what we have to do. We cannot listen to the mainstream media. They're giving us 
false information. People are drinking the Kool-Aid. I, I took the red pill long ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> so well, I want to know the truth. I, I, I took it in 1997, you know, growing up black, I just thought you had to be a Democrat because that's what they said. And then I became a Christian and followed Jesus Christ, got born again in 1997. And all of a sudden I saw things from God's point of view. Praise that's God right. for that. Morgan, that's thank right. you very much for coming on. You know, you're always welcome to be a guest on your show and this show. And I'm very glad that you carved out some time to uh, be a guest on the very first podcast. So God bless you and the family. God bless you too, Gary. And you just keep up the good work because it's going to build and build and build. And this country will get back on the right track. Thank you. You're so kind about the comments for me. I thank you for your kind comments. And yes, this country will get back on track because God is not through with us yet. That's right. Thanks. Morgan Brittany, everybody, former star actress from all kinds of shows. Morgan Brittany telling you about Hollywood. And it's so important because you may not really realize how much time you spend watching that TV or watching movies. And they are sending a message. There was a day in which that message used to be about God, family, country, constitution, which this show is about. There was a time in which that used to be about family values and morals, which the show is about. They have thrown all that into the toilet, people. You must be aware. Hollywood is just the start, people. That is only one area where minds are being turned to the wrong. Not to the right, but to the wrong. To everything that's immoral, to everything that leads to the destruction of a society. But there are others. And I would never have thought when I first heard of critical race theory that this would be anything other than the latest fad that would disappear in a heartbeat. Because as a black person, I just thought this makes no sense even to black people. However, proof that critical race theory is working, look no further than the violence in the streets over the last year. Why has that been tolerated? Why haven't the perpetrators been carried off to jail? Because our nation has been softened by the effects of Antonio Gramsci's cultural Marxism and critical race theory is riding on that wave where violent rioting, looting and protesting is to be tolerated if done by the oppressed and aimed at their oppressors. And this is a resident evil. And it's something we need to talk about. And that's what my next guest is going to focus in on. She's an entrepreneur, commentator, and an author whose opinion pieces have been published in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Epoch Times, and even, yes, the New York Times. Wow. She previously helped to set young minds straight as a tenured professor at Princeton and Vanderbilt. She hosts the Conversations with Dr. Carol Swain TV show, which is listed on YouTube, Rumble, and the Binge TV Network. She's much, much more, got much, much more going on that she is welcome to explain. But of particular importance to this podcast, she co-authored with Dr. Chris Shore the book, Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House, which is an Amazon bestseller in the areas of education, inclusive methods, and democracy. She's a very, very, very familiar face on Fox News and other conservative networks. I welcome to the show to tell us 
What the heck is going on with this critical race theory? Dr. Carol Swain. Thank you so much, Gary, for having me on your show. And I look forward to this conversation. I do, too. And the problem is we're even having it because this isn't a conversation that we should should be even having. It's amazing to me that this has taken root. So please tell the people, since you have written a book about it and have been speaking about it, and you could tell people about what you do and what you say when you go out and talk about this, what is this and why should all of America be so concerned? Well, first of all, critical race theory is something that's been around for a long time. In fact, it started on university campuses, Harvard University in particular, as part of critical legal studies. And Derek Bale, the first black tenured professor at Harvard Law School, is considered one of the fathers of critical race theory. And some of the arguments that he made that is of significance to the civil rights uh, movement and civil rights act is that whenever white people concede anything to blacks uh, including the strides we made during during the civil rights movement it is to benefit them and not black people Uh, critical race theory divides americans along racial lines And according to the narrative, which is rooted in Marxism, economic Marxism divided people between between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, the workers and the capitalists, with um, the critical race theory, whites are considered the oppressors, uh, much like the capitalists in economic Marxism. And... Blacks and other minorities are considered victims, the oppressed. And according to critical race theory, white people have a property interest in their whiteness. And it argues that white people are responsible for systemic racism that oppresses people of color and that minorities are caught up in a system where racism is permanent. And so that's uh, sort of how it presents itself. It also argues, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that that whites uh, need to become anti-racist. And my response to that is that we all have a responsibility to become anti-racist. And when you think about critical race theory and what it argues, it argues that blacks are victims and that the Civil Rights Movement and Civil Rights Act failed. It no longer seeks equal opportunity. It seeks equal outcomes. And they believe that the only way you can get equal outcomes or equity is by lowering standards. And consequently, we have people who are critical race theorists who argue that math is racist, that uh, English should be relaxed for black people or speaking standard English is something that is whiteness, as well as getting to places on time, planning for the future, uh, being a Christian, and believing in traditional values that all of that is whiteness. And so critical race theory is something that has been around for a long time. For many of us, we heard of it the first time after George Floyd's death, but it's been around for decades. You know, this is 
You know, we've spoken several times. If you could see the steam coming out of my head, because one of the things that based on what you just said, that's so true, Dr. Swain, that is so unsettling to me is why would blacks actually buy into this? Because it's saying it's saying basically coming out of the womb, coming out of the womb, as soon as you're born, you're toast. You can't think, you can't reason, you can't achieve, you can't become anything on your own. You're, 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 the system is automatically against you and you can't rise up above it like you did, like I did, like even people that I don't even have respect for because of certain aspects of who they are, like a Beyonce or a Jay-Z or, or LeBron James, but they were an Oprah Winfrey or Muhammad Ali. They rose to the top of the professions. They're saying you can't do that. Maybe one or two can get through, but most of you can't. Why would black people? That is the height of racism saying just because you're born a certain color, you can't achieve. Why are blacks putting up with this? I mean, it is a, a racist theory and it is a theory, even though now it affects every institution in our society. And it's something that I argue in my book, Black Eye for America, that it is unconstitutional because it violates the Equal Protection Clause mm -hmm. of the 14th Amendment, that it violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and its various amendments, and it's un-American because in America we know that it is unacceptable, uh, in fact, um, repugnant and reprehensible to shame and bully people because of the color of their skin. Yet with critical race theory, we find that Many uh, children who happen to be white are being bullied and shamed because of the color of their skin and because of their ancestors, when actually um, the, the criticisms are leveled at all black, uh, at all white people. And so if you look at white America and you don't put them all in the same bucket, there were many whites who were part of the abolitionist movement who have given trillions of dollars to black colleges and universities and causes uh, to try to eradicate the past and present effects of race-based discrimination. And the story of America, the true story, is of whites and blacks and other races working together. And the true story of slavery is this fact that is often not told. There were black slaveholders Native American slaveholders, as well as white slaveholders in the South, and the percentage of whites who held slaves, that it was small compared to the population. Not only that, but let's let's take it back to the dirty little secret that a lot of people don't want to talk about. The slaves that got here from Africa, correct me if I'm wrong, because you were the political science teacher at Princeton and Vanderbilt, but weren't a lot of those slaves sold into slavery by blacks in Africa? Yes, they were. And that's <gasps> well, wait a minute. Isn't that doesn't that <laughs> blow up this theory? Oh, my God. Black people sold black people into slavery. How did that? What, how did how did I get around that? Well, here's another thing. We talk about it in America and the 1619 Project in particular that argued that America was systemically racist, that racism is in the DNA of, the, of our nation. And if you actually go back to when the first Africans arrived in America, they were indentured servants. And so they served a period of indentureship, I believe, seven years. 
and they were set free. And many of them became uh, skilled craftsmen. And they hired, uh, some of them hired slaves themselves, or they took on slaves. And it wasn't that they were purchasing members of their family. In some cases, people did purchase members of their families, but there were some large slaveholders that just happened to be black. And if you look at some of those wealthy blacks on Martha's Vineyard and places like that, uh, some of those blacks are descendants of free blacks. And the free black population in America got its foothold uh, through the indentured servitude system that lasted until greed caused uh, the people, decision makers, to make slavery permanent. But America itself was not founded in 1619. The country that we know today as America, the United States of America, that uh, came into existence in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence. And so we have a birth date, and that's something that people choose to ignore. Yes, and by the way, yes, absolutely. And by the way, this is a double-edged sword because not only is it saying that blacks are born oppressed, it's saying when you come out of the womb, as a white individual, you are an oppressor. And it was explained to me this way uh, recently on one of my shows by uh, Albert Guillory, the former uh, uh, state senator from Louisiana, Republican state senator, who had been a Democrat and switched to a Republican. He said, if you have two babies that are born and they're born and they're laying in the hospital in cribs next to each other, you're saying that that white baby, it's in his DNA to be an oppressor and to be evil, and he has no choice but to do that, and the black baby is born oppressed and has no opportunity. So you're saying from birth that this is a genetic thing, that that black baby has everything stacked against him and has to run from the oppressor. It, I this, would this argue is, that it is a white supremacy theory and that mm -hmm. critical race theorists, the progressive left, that they're using critical race theory to advance their agenda and their agenda has very little to do with black people. They're conveniently using black people and it is setting uh, our children back because they're not getting equal opportunities. They're being told that they're less capable and because they're less capable uh, that schools should get rid of advanced placement courses, that black children should not be pressed to learn mathematics and turn in homework that's correct that black children should have relaxed standards, that black children should be segregated, because we've had some cases where uh, black children have been segregated in sections with other black children. And we know that at the college and university level for a while, we have had people that have pressed for separate graduations, separate dorms, and separate course sections. And so that is a violation of civil rights laws that has been uh, that has taken place because of progressives, that they are openly violating the civil rights laws and the corporations and schools that are going along with it, they are violating the law. They ought to be sued. And one of the remedies that we suggest in my book, Black Eye for America, is that people pursue uh, the, use the laws of the land and pursue the legal and constitutional 
avenues that we have available to fight against critical race theory. And I think that there are plenty and people need to document and file court cases. That's a that's a very good start. Now, since you went down this rabbit hole and we were going to get there sooner or later. But, Dr. Swain, since you went down this rabbit hole and you said critical race theory is not the end game. We know they're Marxists, the communists that are behind this. So please peel the onion as smelly as it gets and expose, as we know, the end game for all of this mess. What is the end game that they're after? Well, they're after destroying institutions, traditional institutions uh, that have um, been a source of strength in societies that... um, have held to Western values. And that's one of the reasons why some decades ago, Western civilization was attacked uh, in courses that um, courses that taught about Western civilization, that many schools eliminated them because they were considered, um, well, they were not politically correct for sure. But the end game for the Marxists is to destroy America and they want to destroy the family They want to destroy the church. They want to destroy the governmental institutions, the constitution, and and the family. Just everything that has made America the nation that it is, they have these um, traditional institutions in a bullseye. And I think that people need to realize that that is the end game. And so black people and white people that go along with the agenda, they're just... Useful idiots, according to Lenin. You've got that absolutely right. Now, everybody, Dr. Swain listed several institutions they want to destroy. This is how you turn a country communist. You can't turn America communist without going through socialism first because they got to get rid of that constitution. See, that stands in the way. So what they have to do is use socialism as a bridge to try and get to communism. But notice what she said. She said they want to destroy the family. Look at what critical race theory does. It destroys the family because it pits White as oppressors against blacks as the oppressed. Just the marriage, if you're married to uh, an interracial marriage, what are those kids? What are, what is if you got one black parent and one white parent? What are the kids supposed to think about it? Then she said, look at all the institutions that it pits against each other. It pits the church because the church of Jesus Christ is based on Jesus Christ dying for our sins and paying the sin that we could not pay. And that's where freedom comes. Freedom comes through Jesus Christ, from God, it sets you free. It sets you free. He paid for all the sins. So you do not have to be in any type of bondage if you're willing to follow him. But according to critical race theory, that doesn't work. They want to destroy the church that way by getting people to turn their back on the freedom. It takes away the Constitution, the freedom that the Constitution provides. That doesn't mean we follow it correctly or follow it exactly. Or even some people don't even want to follow it at all. But it's there for the protection of everybody. Inalienable rights given not by the country but by God, they want to get rid of that too. So you can see this is really, really dangerous, deadly. I say it's evil. My question to you, Dr. Swain, are people starting to see the light or is this, we still going down this rabbit hole and have a ways to go before people realize, wake up and realize we've been had? Well, many parents are beginning to see the light. So they have mobilized across America against critical race theory And it's not just conservatives that are opposing critical race theory. It's uh, it cuts across 
uh, partisan lines and racial lines. So it's not a one side uh, opposition. So we find racial and ethnic minorities, particularly immigrants, standing up for America, opposing critical race theory because many of them came from socialist communist countries and they hate what is happening to America. And I think that the focus now is on critical race theory, but we should not forget that there is critical feminist theory that targets men and males. And we hear our children our male children being accused of having toxic masculinity and and they are shamed and bullied because they happen to be male, they have happen to be different. And so according to critical feminist theory, men are the oppressors and women are the oppressed. According to critical queer theory, heterosexuals are the oppressors and the LGBT community, they are the oppressed. And we know that traditional uh, Marxism often pits the rich against the poor, but it's always about dividing people and uh, preventing them from coming together because if they were able to come together and see clearly, they would unite. They would be a powerful force. But critical race theory and wokeism, it destroys. It never builds up. It has nothing to replace what it destroys. Yeah, this is sad. This is this is sad, but this is just the latest Resident Evil that we're up against. Dr. Swain, tell people how they can get involved. Like what does each individual need to do in their home, in their family, in their community, in their church, in, in the circles of influence that they're involved in? What can they do to educate and enlighten their fellow man about this? This this is terrible, but what can they do about it? The first thing they need to do is make sure that they truly understand what they're talking about. And when it comes to critical race theory and my book, which is co-authored, Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House, we uh, open our book by explaining what critical theory is, where it came from, and how it manifests itself in our society. And we uh, go on to show why it runs counter to traditional American values and principles, why it runs counter to the civil rights uh, acts that have been passed and civil rights laws, and why um, it is um, a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. We also have study questions at the end of each chapter, and the chapters are short. In fact, um, the entire book is 150 pages, but the chapters that we've written to educate people about what it is, where it came from, how it manifests manifests itself, why we need to fight against it. And then we have two chapters on strategies. And among those strategies, we start off with, you have to know what you're fighting against. And then we encourage people to challenge the legality and constitutionality of critical race theory. We encourage them to organize, you know, at the grassroots level, there's many different things that they can do and to build coalitions that cut across racial and ethnic lines. Uh, We have to fight also against big tech. We have to monitor our governments, whether state, local or federal, to make sure they're not using our tax dollars to support theories and philosophies that are destructive to America and to our families and our way of life. And so the book, um, 
is meant to equip Americans. It has a glossary, an index, uh, appendices with resources that you can turn to, as well as citations. Anyone that reads that short book, and you can read it in a couple of hours, you should be fully equipped for battle. Yes, that, that's great information. That's great information. I know there are going to be some people uh, listening and it's saying, yeah, she, she, she sounds pretty bright, pretty intelligent, but just another black sellout. So you don't have to go too deep into it, but please kick your credentials. Let people know a little bit about your background so they'll understand from which you came, because you, like I, have been on both sides of the uh, both sides of this uh, political issue. And I don't I mean, mean the political issue as it stands for, for critical race. I mean, we, we, we both started out somewhere else and we're completely in another spot. Well, one thing that people should know is that I was born in 1954 and during that time, systemic racism actually did exist. Uh, we had the segregated South. I was born into the segregated South, but I watched the civil rights movement. I lived out in the country, so I can't say I participated in it, but I watched it unfold. And I watched our nation pass three major civil rights acts that opened up opportunities for people like me. And even though I married at 16, dropped out of school, I was able to get a high school equivalency, go to a community college and get the first of five degrees. And I ended up being steered into academia. My first... Um, Teaching position was at Princeton University. I, I, I mean, I won a national prizes. I got early tenure, and tenure is a lifetime appointment, but I got early tenure. It normally takes seven years. I did it in three. I went to Vanderbilt as a full professor, and then 2017, I retired. And during the course of my life, I have worked in a garment factory. I've worked in nursing homes. I've sold things from door to door. I've been a sales clerk. I have seen America from different vantage points. And right now, I feel that God has called me to speak up about this evil um, injustice that is taking place. And I argue that critical race theory is the civil rights issue of our time and the systemic racism that we may have in our country now seems to be targeted against white people and maybe against Asians. It's not against blacks. And what is taking place today is a violation of our laws and our constitution. And if it continues, we will not have an America because if it continues, it means that we don't have a constitution, that our constitution means nothing. I, I hear you. And that was very well put. I also want to throw in, because I know you're being rather humble here, that you ran for the mayor of Nashville, Tennessee, among other things, and that you have you had hosted the Be the People podcast and you have all kind of things going on. So I thank you very much for coming on the show. Please tell people how they can reach you and, and anything that you would like to promote that you're involved with. Well, I'm on all the social media platforms. I'm on Facebook as Doc Carol M. Swain, uh, Twitter at Carol M. Swain, Instagram, I think Doc Dr. Carol M. Swain, and my websites are carolmswain.com and be thepeoplenews.com. Be thepeoplenews.com. And so please follow me, sign up for my newsletter. 
And I hope you will purchase a copy of the new book, Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House. It is an Amazon bestseller, and I believe that it can make an impact and equip people to more fully and effectively fight back against the evil that is gripping our nation. Very well put. Dr. Carol Swain, thank you very much for coming on the show. You know, as always, you're always welcome back. Anytime you have something that you want to promote or you want to push or you want to say, because you have been out there for a long time, you've always been a voice of truth and reason. I I appreciate you coming on my first podcast. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, this is this is what we're dealing with, people. Critical race theory propagandists want us to look at past United States history through their Marxist woke glasses. And those glasses include equity instead of equality, social justice and political correctness instead of truth and uh, truth and justice, true justice. Can't have it, people. We have to hit the reject button on this one. The country, everything in the country is just totally unsettled, as we know. And one of the biggest areas where people aren't sure what to think because they're getting such conflicting information is dealing with this virus and dealing with the vaccine. Well, one person that has clarity about this because she's an investigative journalist that has done her homework is Tracy Bean. She's the editor-in-chief of Uncovered DC. If you haven't been to that website, you need to check it out because they get down to the bottom of what is really, really going on. And they have great guests and she knows what she's talking about. So I'm glad to bring to the show Tracy Beans to tell us what the heck is going on? And she's from Farmingdale, New York, originally 10 miles from where I live. And we have to deal with this craziness here in New York that's totally off the hook. So, uh, Tracy, please tell them who you are and shed some light on this situation. Hey, Gary, it's good to be with you. So I am Tracy Beans, and I happen to have a couple of uh, personal experiences over the past couple weeks with this virus, COVID, which we've been dealing with now for almost two years. And, you know, it's not going away, and I don't think it's ever going to go away in terms of the, you know, having having it out there, just like the common cold or the flu. Um, but there, you know, there are things that people can do to prepare themselves, and there are things that people can do to try to keep themselves healthy. Um, And then there's early treatment available should somebody get sick with COVID. And I think that the majority of Americans are kind of in the dark about the the availability of these things, because if you go to any of the, you know, the websites, the CDC or anywhere else, you're not going to see any real information about early treatment or excuse that car. I'm sorry about that early treatment or anything else. Um, So I figured since I have personal experience now with my son testing positive for COVID just this past Thursday, I can share some of what we did in my family. Please do. And your son, I think you've told me, is 12 years old. Were you surprised that somebody that young came down with the virus? Or is it just like it is what it is and it hits some kids and it hits some older people and it just whoever gets it, however he gets it. Did he have serious symptoms or did he just test positive? Because as we both know, there's a big difference between the two. There's a lot of people that test positive. They don't they wouldn't even know they had tested positive except somebody tested them. And then there are the people yeah, that no, get this, sick. Yeah, this was, no, he was symptomatic on Thursday morning. So I, um, I had a rapid home antigen test, which tests for a protein 
that COVID has. It's not like the PCR test and he tested positive there. Um, so I knew that, you know, he, he had a headache, he had body aches, he had a fever. So I knew he had COVID. Um, and you know, most people don't realize, believe it or not, just like the flu or a cold, you're most contagious in the 24 to 48 hours before you're symptomatic with COVID or the flu or a cold or anything else. So we had had, um, you know, William, my son on a prophylactic dose of, um, liposomal vitamin C. He was also taking little zinc gummy lozenges and he was doing a mouth gargle and a nose spray. Um, the spray that we were using is X L E A R. It has xylitol and grapeseed oil. And in many, many studies, it's been shown that that's a viricide that can actually take care of COVID. And we know that COVID replicates in the nose and the, and the, and the throat and the nasopharynx. So he had been using that nasal spray incorrectly. We learned on Thursday morning. Um, but we, um, we immediately bumped up the liposomal C. We bumped up the, um, the zinc a little bit. We gave him some, uh, vitamin D as well. Um, and he was symptomatic, I would say for two days, Gary, he had a fever for 24 hours and then that went down to normal and he was clear of all symptoms of COVID on Saturday. So that's basically two days of illness for my son. Oh, that is a blessing. So glad to hear that. So I know what you've done is you have, because I know you have juice and connections, you've contacted Dr. Fauci and all the people that are running, uh, you know, all the uh, scare tactics and you have to take the vaccine and everything and have told them, hey, here's the cure. And by the way, you want to try put hydroxychloroquine in there with it? I'm sure that uh, they're going to love hearing that you just, just like a lot of people, did your homework found a cure and it worked. So why won't well, they tell America? I, I, you know, that's a great question. My husband and I on Thursday morning immediately took a, a prophylactic dose of ivermectin. That's another dirty word we're not allowed to say, right? So I took that, my husband took it, and then 48 hours later we took it and um, we are still symptom-free and he's better. So we pretty much cleared COVID from my house without any, anyone else getting sick. Um, and I was the primary caregiver for my son. Now, that's not typical. Usually, it's a very, very easy to spread virus, especially Delta. And it's a very rapid turnaround. So usually, between two and four days, you'll come down with symptoms if you're going to get sick and you've been exposed to somebody who's sick. So we'd, we've been doing the quercetin, the vitamin D, the vitamin C liposomally. We've been doing the zinc, and we've been doing the nas- nasal spray in gargle three times a day every day since then and we do it two times a day in prophylaxis when there's nobody around who's sick because it's perfectly natural and you know if you do get sick there are treatments available for people there's the monoclonal antibodies there's the um the nasal spray there's the ivermectin there's hydroxychloroquine and people are making quick recoveries for the most part when early treatment's involved um that's not everybody i mean just like the flu people get very sick sometimes and they need to you know go into the hospital but it's been quite terrifying. I've been involved with several patients who have gone into the hospital and sadly not come out of the hospital. And we know one personally, our friend Presley Stutz, that um, yes. that happened to uh, that the chairman of Rock the Red. And we were just at that convention. You and I were there together. You were one of the keynote speakers. And that's the last time I saw Presley. I'm glad I got to see him again. But it's a shame the, the way this is uh, carrying on. My question to you you have given cures. Uh, we have seen professional athletes in particular who are vaccinated, a bunch of New York Yankees, about five, six or seven of them came down with the symptoms again or tested positive. And my question to you is, why is it not 
being said what you said. Why aren't other alternative cures being pushed around the country, especially in blue states, where they're just pushing the, the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine, then we'll get into the vaccine and whether it has some serious side effects in a minute. But why do you think it's all about the vaccine and everybody better get vaccinated? And it looks like they're trying to scare those of us who aren't vaccinated into getting vaccinated. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a push. It's an all out push to get everyone vaccinated or nothing. And it's very weird. And I don't have a concrete answer for you, especially when we have countless countries now, UK, Israel, that have shown their their populations are more than 90 percent fully vaccinated and they're coming down with COVID in record numbers. And a lot of that has to do from my research and, you know, the, the experts that I've interviewed and spoken to they're leaky vaccines so you know while you're while you are vaccinated you might not get symptoms that happens to a bunch of people but you're spreading virus anyway and the viruses have now you know mutating to evade the vaccines which is why they're starting to push booster shots and you know without any hardcore data that they'll even work at all that saying that you know vaccine immunity is more robust than natural immunity which we know is an absolute farce um, and so they're they're really trying very hard to get everybody vaccinated on the planet. And unfortunately for them, that's that's not going to happen. It's just not. Um, in addition, you know, now Pfizer is saying they've got a pill you've got to take twice a day as well on top of the vaccines to keep yourself covid free. And it looks like the, the pill is a protease inhibitor, which is exactly how the mechanism by which ivermectin works. So there's been a joke floating around, Gary. They're calling it Pfizer mectin because <laughs> Pfizer will charge you know, four times as much money as uh, as it would cost to get um, to get, you know, ivermectin. But it's, it's it's literally the same medicine. OK, now here's the big question. When this virus first hit. Record numbers of people. It didn't matter if you had uh, emphysema, if you had cancer, if you had stroke, if you had heart attacks, everybody who died that didn't have a gunshot wound, they died of this virus, okay? So all of a sudden, everybody, all those numbers spike and they had the little ticker going on. Remember, they're just showing all these people dying, you know, this fear factor scaring Americans. However, when it comes now to the other side of people claiming and saying and relatives saying that people who took the vaccine, that something, from that vaccine perpetuated their death. They don't want to talk about that in the media and they don't want to talk about that out of the White House. How accurate no. is that, Tracy, and why not? Um, I don't know, and it's starting to concern a lot of experts that they went through with this quasi-FDA approval on the COVID vaccine, which isn't really a full FDA approval. When we see the you know the the screened VARES reporting data is through the roof at this point with more vaccine linked death for the COVID vaccines than ever in the history of the system itself. So for all other vaccines in history, and it's terrifying. You know we've read stories over the past couple of days of pregnant women who were I'm sorry um, new mothers who had been vaccinated who were transferring spike protein and issues to their babies. One of them sadly passed away um, from what they called. Uh, you know, it was almost like Kawasaki disease, where your arteries, you know, sort of 
get irritated and you have blood clots. So it's passing through breast milk. Um, the, the CDC has said that it's safe for pregnant mothers to get this vaccine. And there have been countless studies that have shown that that's not the case. And they never ran trials on pregnant mothers. The way this is happening is so outside of the norm with all of the vaccine injured now starting to really make some noise about this. It's terrifying. And so, you know, it's a personal decision at the end of the day, but you need to have informed consent to make that decision. And if you're not getting the truth from your medical professionals who are doling out these shots. Um, Gary, interestingly enough, in the VAERS system, they have to report when a shot was inadvertently given to someone who shouldn't have gotten it, i.e. a child under 12 or a child between the ages of 12 and 18 who is, or 12 and 16. They're accidentally giving the Moderna vaccine to these kids and they're not supposed to be getting it. It's not approved for their age group. So nobody's even paying attention. They're just jabbing the shot in people's arms and shooting them with the substance. And it's terrifying what's happening across the country. It sure is. Now, we've talked about this before, so let me see if I have this right. Like, when you get a shot, the reason they shoot it in your arm, they're shooting it into the muscle. Is this kind of, and this is kind of maybe a stretch, but I remember back in the day when the strippers and the porn stars and people that just wanted to, the women that just wanted to augment themselves, use silicon breast implants. And they were fine unless they ruptured, and if they ruptured and the silicon went into your body, some of these women started dying. What is the problem here? Is the problem that this vaccine is having a leakage and getting into positions where it can uh, affect your heart, affect your kidneys, affect your lungs, affect infertility, uh, uh, impotency, all kind of other things that the people in charge don't want you to know about? Yeah, it's basically migrating. It's the spike protein is ending up crossing the blood brain barrier. It's concentrating in organs like the ovaries, the spleen, the kidneys. Um, it's causing many, many cases of myocarditis and pericarditis in children. Um, that's an inflammation of the heart muscle that's causing them to have serious issues. And that does not heal. It doesn't fix itself. They'll have that problem, you know, with that scar tissue for the rest of their lives. These are young kids. And, yeah, so it didn't stay in the muscle and produce an immune response. It actually moved around the body, and that's the problem. And so they're doing studies on that now, but obviously the studies aren't coming from where you'd want them to be coming from. They're coming from, you know, outside groups. They're not, the government like refuses to acknowledge that any of this is happening and instead are on an all-out campaign. I saw a commercial there in New York. I watched the New York Mets um, baseball. And I saw a commercial up there in New York where they had a gentleman standing on the street. They went up to him supposedly to interview him on the fly about what side effects he experienced from the vaccine. And they've got him there saying, there's no side effects. It was completely safe. I'm a hundred percent fine. Well, that's great. I'm glad he didn't experience any immediate side effects, but we still don't even know what'll happen in four and five years. This is very, very true, and and this is scary. And my question to you, is this criminal? Because, see, uh, the, the mainstream media, which I call the disingenuous mainstream media, they refuse to put this out. They need, you need, people need to know both sides. People, to, in other words, to make an educated opinion about what you want to do, especially people who are Christians, people of faith, that don't want to take this shot for for for, re, for for spiritual reasons, then you have people that have other reasons they don't want to take it, but it may not be they don't want to take it, they just don't think they have enough information because vaccines are supposed to stop you from getting things. If you take the polio shot, you shouldn't get polio. If we were gonna to travel to Africa, we have to take a shot for malaria. If you get malaria, there's a problem. This is a major issue. Why? 
aren't the media. Well, let me change the question. Is it criminal that the people in charge, meaning, you know, the World Health Organization, Fauci, all the way down to the president, everybody through the states, especially the blue states and the mainstream media, because all they have to do is tell the truth. See, if Trump were president, this would be the biggest story in the country. He would supplant our Afghanistan off the front pages where he's going to say, hey, he's killing people with this phony vaccine. Is that criminal yeah. what they're actually doing? I mean, I, I think it's against the Nuremberg, try, honestly, it's against the Nuremberg Code, and I do think it's criminal what they're doing. Um, you know, whether or not there'll ever be accountability is a different story, but there's several different ways there are, there is accountability, right? So the, the hospital's mandating the doctors and the nurses get this shot when they're taking care of vaccine injured all day long. They're leaving their jobs. They're, you know, all of this uh, staffing issues that you're hearing and overflowing ICUs and all of that. You know, there's a whole nother story underneath the story there that has nothing to do with the number of cases per se, even though we are in a very, very severe wave of COVID right now. It has a lot more to do with staffing issues, having to fly people in from all over the world to, to treat patients because you mandated a vaccine and caused these medical professionals to walk off the job. Some of them career professionals leaving because they won't get the shot. Um, you know, there's other things that are going on here. And eventually, at the end of the day, there's going to come a tipping point where people are like, enough. They've moved the goalposts on this 60 times already. First, it was if you get this shot, you'll never get sick. Don't worry about it. It's got a 98% uh, efficacy rate. You can stop wearing masks and go back to normal life. Everybody went out. Then all of a sudden it was, well, you know, we're not going to, we're going to count the breakthrough cases that some people are getting sick, but it's not a lot of people and their symptoms are super mild. Then that started happening so much, they said, you know what, we're going to stop counting those cases that don't go into the hospital and don't pass away, sadly, from the virus while vaccinated. Then they said, we're only going to count vaccinated people who have been vaccinated fully with both shots for at least two weeks. So that, you know, so they keep moving these goalposts. And now they're telling people who just got this vaccine early in the year, they're going to have to get another one and another one and another one. And people are looking at themselves like, wait a second, this is not what they told us was supposed to happen. So what else don't they know? Yeah, well, you said the magic word because uh, you're not around here to see me anymore. But uh, the word mask, that's the magic word. Tracy, don't people under see in New York now, everybody's walking around, you know, they, some people have a mask so high you can't even you could barely see their eyes. You see the top of their eyelids. I, that's a joke, but it's close. The point I'm trying to make is. By wearing masks 24-7, and I'm watching and seeing people driving in their cars alone with a mask on, why don't they understand that for the history of mankind, a merciful and graceful God that created us, roughly made, and created us to withstand the viruses and withstand the germs and withstand so much stuff in each country so people can live and breathe the air, don't they understand by putting the mask on instead of protecting themselves from something that the mask really doesn't work for? All they're doing is stopping the naturalness of what you need to be breathing in and taking in to become immune to things and to be able to keep your system you know, strong and vibrant as an antivirus system, you're shutting off the very life stream of what's keeping you alive. Why don't people understand that? Or am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Um, it's been proven over and over and over again. It's really ridiculous. 
it's, it's, you know, they don't work. Clearly they don't work because if they worked, then we wouldn't have had a, a pandemic in the first place. Everybody's running around with the mask on. They've been, it's been proven time, time again. And that's, you know, your natural immunity to other things. Like, for example, we saw a huge uptick in RSV. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, it's very easy for, for most people to handle. But for babies and the elderly, it's a little rough. And when kids started going back to summer camp, going back to school, this virus that doesn't usually make such a huge impact was making a big impact across the schools and, and then being spread amongst people because people's immune systems have been completely sheltered from any outside toxins for the past, what, eight months? People locked inside their houses, not touching everyday substances, cleaning their hands every five minutes, wearing a mask. They're breathing in their own gunk everywhere. It's, it's just not good. You're absolutely right. Now, let's, well, let's try this. The southern border is open. We know it. The people running the country know it. People are coming across that southern border. So they want you in New York. I can't go to a restaurant unless I put a mask on, which I won't do. So I'll cook my own food. But people are coming across the southern border and they're bringing their version of this virus along with them. Why is there no concern about that? And they're not counting them. They're not stopping them. They're not controlling them. And then they're being filtered in to the system, put in homes and put in communities all around America. If this virus is such a killer, why aren't they concerned about the southern border and what people are bringing into this country? They don't seem to care at all about the southern border and what people are bringing into this country. It's not a concern when it's illegals crossing the border, but when it's Americans trying to eat dinner at a restaurant in New York City, that's a whole different story. But Gary, I thought that when you sat down, the virus couldn't touch you anymore. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. The virus is a virus and there was a flu. We've had all kinds of viruses and, and some viruses kill. I think I think it's what 133,000 people, 133,000 people die a year from the common flu. That this is this is this is just part of life, people. And, and the, the situation here, what you have to understand, and this is the last thing I really want you to address, is taking us back to the beginning and how this whole thing has been politicized because to me this whole thing and this is not looking to downplay the virus at all i know people who have died from it um this is just to show you that as saul alinsky said and others barack obama we can actually go back to karl marx never let a good crisis go to waste that the left has taken this and it's their latest power grab and this is a way to start the herd mentality of getting everybody used to do as we say and actually being able to inflict this on America when it's unconstitutional and everybody knows it. it, it it's been politicized all the way through from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, we could probably spend another two hours discussing all the ways in which that's true. Um, it, it, it was used to mess with the elections. It's been used to pit people against one another. It's been used to control 
people's movements to control. Look what's happening in Australia. I mean, it's not just limited to the United States. COVID has impacted literally every single woman, man, and child on the face of this planet in ways that we probably won't know the real repercussions of for years and years and years to come. And it's been seized upon. But the good thing, Gary, is, is I think it's woken a lot of people up to what is actually going on in this world. And there's a lot more people questioning everything than ever before. And so for that, there might be a, a shrouded blessing from all of this. Well, that's what we need, because that was going to be my last question to you. What's the solution? What do you tell people to do? Get, speak to America and tell them what they can do to be aware of what they need to be aware about for themselves and their families and for our country. Just get educated on early treatment. Look for alternative information sources. Um, read the medical studies yourself. You know, get on your search engine, search things up, read the studies, listen to the interviews by people like Dr. McCullough, Dr. Corey, and others. Um, if you go to the FLCCC website, you'll find their early treatment and prophylactic protocol. They are really out there trying to get people to be proactive about their health. And just stay in tune with everything that's going on and get active in your local community because that's where everything's really going to change. Yes, I, I agree. And, and people are starting to wake up, but we need more to wake up because the media is covering this up and they're still getting away with it. Tracy, tell people how to reach you and about your website. Yeah, thank you. Um, glad to be here with you today. You can go to UncoverDC.com or you can actually check out on RadioInfluence.com. We have the Dark to Light podcast as well. Thank you, Tracy. You know, you're always welcome to be back on the show. Thank you for uh, being a guest on this very first show. And I am not I am happy to let people know that you are responsible for making the connection that has given me this platform. So I, I thank you very much. I appreciate the faith you've shown in me and I hope I can live up to it. So thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh Keep your family in prayer and that your family comes through this and keep doing the great work you're doing. Thank you so much, Gary. You're welcome. There you have it. Tracy Beans, uh, Uncovered DC. If you want to find out the truth of what's going on, check out her website. Now, the thing about it is she's got some great people writing for her. And the thing about it is you don't have to take it as fact. What you have to do is just look at it because there is another side and then take that and then take what you're hearing from the other side and make an educated choice. But in this climate, in this day and age, the problem is too many people are listening to the wrong people they're listening to the disingenuous mainstream media. They're listening to people on the left that are in the midst of a Marxist socialist takeover of this nation. And they're getting their information from those media sources where there's another answer. See, you just have to listen, people. Just pay attention and listen to both sides and then make your decision. If you don't like what you're hearing from people like myself or Tracy Beans or some of the other guests that are coming on the show, discard it. But you owe it to yourself to pay attention. You know, everybody, one thing that is on everybody's mind that's a conservative, a Christian, or somebody that's even a moderate to on the right side of political law, meaning you're not a Marxist, you're not a socialist, you're not a communist, you're not a you know progressive, all, all, all those progressive things on the left, is what the heck happened in the 2020 presidential election? Because most of us know Donald J. Trump, the incumbent president, 
smoked Joe Biden, probably by yeah. 20 million votes. But he's not president. And look at what we have in the White House. And what is so strange is with all the evidence and Mike Lindell and Sidney Powell and Linwood and everybody out there and and what they were saying in Georgia and what they were saying in Arizona and what they were saying in Michigan and what they were saying like Kathy Barnett and everything that happened in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, the courts are like, we're not touching this. There is something, mm-hmm. something very amiss here. And to straighten this out, I'm bringing on an author, a motivational speaker, a teaker, teacher of biblical truths, president of Tarver Consulting. She does so much. It's, it would take her time on the show to get into it. So all I'm going to do right now is bring on Dr. Linda Lee Tarver and have her tell you who she is and what has happened with election fraud and what we need to do to get election integrity back into this nation. I welcome to the show, Dr. Linda Lee Tarver. Thank you so much. It is such an honor to be with you, Gary. Uh, And I am so grateful for the opportunity to speak to your audience and to share a little bit about what, what I'm doing and what people are doing, all these patriots are doing across the nation. I am a youngest of 10, married mother of two and I have a perfect grandson who's 18 months old Amen. and I am a Sunday school teacher, a former uh, Michigan civil rights commissioner. I retired after 34 years with the state of Michigan, 29 with the secretary of state's office. And uh, the last seven of those years as an election integrity expert. And so I spent time working in community affairs and in election integrity in Michigan. And so I did not think at the time that I retired in 2019 that I would need to weigh in on the issues of election integrity. What I wanted to share was that the COVID response or the response to COVID, especially in blue states, especially in blue states or where there were Democrat secretaries of state uh, conducting those elections, there was a significant prevalent and obvious uh, deviation from election law to quote, accommodate COVID. And with that, there was significant challenges that we saw. For example, there was a, uh, concerted effort to pick up ballots. We in Michigan, it's a felony to pick up ballots for people who you're not eligible to pick them up from. But bar, that's called ballot harvesting. So we know that that was going on. The Secretary of State here in Michigan also tried to waive signature verification that somehow you could be sent a ballot or a ballot application. You did not request it. It was sent to you. And they were sent ballots from people who were deceased or never lived at that address. It was a significant challenge. Then you had the um, six-foot rule that poll challengers, poll challengers are put in place under our Michigan law to ensure integrity of the election. They watch the voter. They watch the uh precinct workers, they watch the uh, ballot process, and they can challenge all of that under our Michigan law. But they were kicked out 
of the TCF Center in Detroit, many of them were kicked out. There was video footage of uh, poll challengers being blocked out. They were putting up pizza boxes Mm -hmm. so that you would not be able to see what was going on. At 3 o'clock in the morning after Donald Trump won Michigan, around 3 o'clock in the morning, thousands and possibly hundreds of thousands of ballots were brought into the absentee voting center of Detroit, our largest city and certainly our largest voting precinct. And that uh, in its of itself was significantly questionable and potentially illegal. They brought these ballots who we don't know where they were uh, sitting or what, what was going on, but they brought these ballots in. Uh, they processed those, those ballots. They did not have enough workers to process them. In Michigan, there must be one Republican one Republican and at least one Democrat per precinct. And there's 503 precincts in Detroit. And in the absentee area that we, that we were discussing, there was supposed to be at least 503 Republicans and 503 Democrats. There was at most 10 Republicans hired in, uh, in violation of the law. And so we know that there were no, um, balance of politics and political parties as required by law. We also know that in a given city, I live in Lansing, Michigan, the average person paid is about $180 for the entire day from seven in the morning till 9 PM at night to perform your civic duty or responsibility for a a poll worker. In Detroit, it was thousands of dollars paid through third-party individuals paid thousands of dollars for those workers. And at the end of the night, they saw flat absentee ballots because the TCF Center, which should be a crime scene, the TCF Center processes only absentee ballots. There are no voters coming in in person. And so with no voters in person, and nothing, uh, and and kicking out Republican poll challengers, more than 80% of the work conducted there could not be recounted because they were in error or fraudulent. 80% of the work there could not be recounted or had errors in it. And that was what was certified in the, uh, the election. And so when people talk about fraud, the connectivity, the routers that were connected to the internet, which these, these terminals, these ballot counting terminals should never be connected to the internet. They should be standing free and counting. They were connected to the internet. There was flat absentee ballots. I'm not sure how you can mail a absentee ballot out uh, flat and then receive it back flat, but there were flat ballots. It, it, it was, again, there were people who had signed affidavits uh, and in, in potential perjury. They signed affidavits, those Republicans who were allowed to stay in or did not allow themselves to be removed. Um, they saw people, Democrats and poll workers, running through the same ballot multiple times, these hundreds of ballots running through multiple times. 
And so this is a problem that we, we know we saw. We know the people who signed the affidavits. There is, um, there was no appetite by our Democrat attorney general to pursue, investigate, or prosecute. But we are working on that to ensure that the truth is made known. And on top of that, in 2018, in Michigan, the people of Michigan said that for election integrity, it's written in our state's constitution, and these were Democrats pushing it, for election integrity that we can demand a statewide audit of our election. And so the, the legislature, the, um, the Democrats in these cities have not uh, cooperated with us on getting a, uh, an audit. What they've done is they've done a recount, which is not an audit. They have audited themselves, which is not a, an audit. You cannot audit yourself. If the IRS chooses to audit you, Gary, they're not going to say, you tell us how your 2020 taxes went and we'll trust you on that. They're not going to do that. And so, you know, we are asking for a forensic audit. We want to open up those bins and the ballot boxes, and we want to look at the uh, materials, the chain of custody. We want to look at how many people were voted. We know that several hundred, maybe thousands of people who were well over 100 years old voted in Detroit. We know that already. We hey, maybe all, those, maybe all the old Motown people are still alive. They're they still alive. You know, I don't, I don't uh, think David that, Ruffin I, voted know, and Eddie Kendricks voted I, and Florence uh, Ballard so. voted and Marvin Gaye voted. You never know. I think Aretha might have voted in the last election while you're playing. So, you know, you know yeah, we're, we're making Motown, a joke, but this is serious stuff because it that, is serious. It's, 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 it's crazy. You know, before you go on, because people's heads are exploding, obviously. Why, just like in Pennsylvania, just like in Georgia, just like even in Arizona, why won't the courts take this? At least look at the information and decide whether they want to take this. Why? How have they been able to stonewall this out of all the courts? Well, the um, proper channels when I was working in election integrity, the proper channel is to for election fraud. That is illegals voting, people who are not U.S. citizens voting, people who are voting in two different states, um, multiple variety of different uh, election law violations are always uh, brought through the, uh, the state's attorney general. This one is a Democrat, and she will not take any. She said, if you find some fraud, alert the police and file a police report. That was her official answer. So she refuses to do her duty, which is nonfeasance and grounds for removal from office. But we have to, and, and I'm in the process of working with a group of individuals who are bringing a case against those who violated the law to submit to a prosecutorial package, if you will, to our county prosecutor, Kim Worthy, in Detroit so that she can prosecute. It is the work that should have been done by the state attorney general, Data Nessel, but she refuses to do it. She, she does not care about integrity or the law. 
nor will she continue to um, allow for anything um, to be done. She's made a decision that she will not perform the duties that she uh, she swore an oath to perform, and that's uphold the laws of Michigan. And election laws are just as equally important. And you know, so it's this, a felony yeah, to put yeah. people out of, to kick Republicans out of the uh, poll challenging. The law in Michigan says that poll challengers must be protected. And, and we so, saw on TV that we saw the putting the pizza boxes up and all these type of oh things. Yeah. I was watching that and I was thinking of you because I know all the work that you had done in Detroit and all the work, especially in the black community, to try and get people to vote for, for President Trump. And we we just saw so much movement and so so much a groundswell of a change of support from him. My question to you is, are you surprised that the people of Michigan are putting up with this because you would think people would want a fair election because what goes around can come around. You know what I mean? So are you you surprised that they have not demanded? Let's get to the, for two reasons. One, because if you don't believe the election was stolen, let's prove it wasn't. And this thing goes away. Well, I, People, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I, I, I am, I can't even Amen. help myself. I'm a Sunday school teacher and I, I look at it from a biblical perspective as well. People were dealing with, um, the, the issues, people were dealing with issues of COVID and fear. And when you're dealing with fear, you are dealing with um, a being allowed to get away with certain things, and so um, you know it 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 is what it is. But it it was significant. Um, it was significant. You know, we had fifty percent voter turnout in Detroit. It was one of the highest. Um, in, in many years, in decades in Detroit, 50% voter turnout in 2020. We had 14% voter turnout for the mayoral primary here in August. And so I, and I share that with you is that people um, will claim and, uh, and listen to the lies. And we've, we've got some liars here. They're, they lie about, um, many different things, but we've got some people who don't care and they fed off of the fear of people. They told them to stay home and vote and vote in mail. And I'm not against mail in voting, but what I'm against is fraud. And, you know, these uh, talking points that are used by the left are, are disrespectful and just really uh, doing away with integrity and doing away with the integrity of our elections. When they poo-poo in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia passed a voter ID law and the, the Baseball Hall of Fame moved from the city of Atlanta to a, a Denver, Colorado, I believe. 
and to an all-white city from an all-black city and took all of these millions of dollars worth of revenue and jobs because in protest. And yet no Democrat has said, you know what, um, voter ID doesn't stop people from voting. It's not voter suppression. It's not. It is integrity. And, and so, you know, when you've got talking points you have to live by, you, you want to, they call righteous, wicked, and wicked righteous. And that is what's happening in our, on the left especially. And I, and I continue to say on the left, Democrats have crafted a narrative that anything that is of victimhood, of uh, suspicion, you want to defund the police, and yet we have highest crime rates in Lansing where I live. 500% now, what's 300%, 500% increase in crime in the city that I live in. And we have a county prosecutor in the county that I live in. And this is not Detroit. I don't live in Detroit. The county prosecutor has passed some regulations that she will not prosecute certain crimes. She will not prosecute uh, felony firearms. She will not prosecute certain crimes as a result of um, expired tabs or tinted windows or anything like that. Whatever you have in there, dead body, uh, drugs, arms, you name it, a small child that doesn't belong to you, she will not prosecute a subsequent felony uh, as a result of what I call these Negro crimes. Her name is, and this is Ingham County, people can look it up, uh, the Ingham County prosecutor will uh, not prosecute certain crimes. And so we, what we've got is this leftist, thick, woke culture that people need to pay attention to, and we need to make sure that we are electing conservative rule of law folks who will ensure that the laws that are applied to ensure integrity. Because nobody's stopping people from voting, as we know from 2020. Nobody's stopping people from voting. And asking for ID, you need an ID to do many things, to drive. Uh, you need an ID to open up a bank account. You need an ID to get certain medications. You need an ID to go to the doctors now. But and you need an ID to go to a liquor store, too. But nobody exactly. has a problem with that. You go to oh, a liquor no. store. Have, you hey, need hey, ID you know, to get services, right. even welfare services and benefits. You need an ID. You're not going to get past that. And so what the left has, the narrative of the left is anything that promotes integrity is voter suppression. And it's a lie perpetrated. And who's going to lose is black folks. Black folks are going to lose when there is no integrity because they are going to be pimped and prostituted like they were in 2020. Pimped and, and prostituted doc, and the dead will rise and vote. I got to stop you right there, Dr. Tarver, because you hit you hit upon the crux of what I think has to save America. I don't know how you're going to answer this question, but we saw them burn down Seattle. We saw them burn Portland. We saw all the riots going on and we saw this Black Lives Matter garbage and all this stuff happening. And all of these things that you just said, everything, the victimhood, just like the Bible says, fear. When you when you when people are afraid, they'll give up freedoms because yes. afraid they'll give up yes. freedom because they're afraid. So here's my question. Are people starting to catch on in the black communities? Guess what? They're not going to rebuild our communities. 
because they shut us down over this virus scare, I'm not going to get my business back. They're not going to give me money for a startup. Are people starting to catch on that once again, it's like Charlie Brown going to kick the football and Lucy, nope, this time you can kick it and she'll pull that football. Are they starting to catch on that you're worse off now than you were three years ago? And it's not about to get better with these people in the White House. I believe the election of 2020 was stolen in Michigan. I I believe that with my whole being. And I have um, information that is plain to me to understand. And I know that it was stolen. So when you're talking about, you have to go back to August 24th, 2019, when the DNC decided that they were going to invite atheists and unbelievers into their, uh, their ranks. They decided that they were not going to allow for evangelicals. They were not going to get evangelicals. They decided to cater to the unsaved, the ungodly and the, and the non uh, religious individuals. And they can look it up. The DNC passed it. And they said that non-believers were number one, August 24th, 2019, non-believers represent the values of the Democrat Party. They kicked Jesus out. And I'm talking to your Christian folks who identify as Democrats. But they kicked Jesus out. And then come months later, we are seeing stealing, killing, and destroying in these communities in Portland and all over the nation where people are stealing And then they codified these laws in liberal bastions like California and in Illinois. So in California, you can go anywhere and steal because black people obviously need the items to steal. So they passed a law in California. I can't even make this up. They passed a law in California to allow you to steal up to $900 worth of items if you need it. And people are walking into stores in broad daylight, stealing off the shelves. In Illinois, in Illinois, because black people have been overrepresented in terms of in, in, um, incarceration, um, we are 14% of the population that make up the significant number of the majority in the prison population. So what they did is they passed this no cash bail in Illinois. No cash bail, especially in a city like Chicago, says that you are um, you beach your girlfriend or your baby mama to a pulp and she is in the hospital for three days. You are out in three hours and didn't have to pay a dime. And then you wonder why you don't have any prosecutions or anyone pressing charges for your deadly assault. This is what we're. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. This is what this is what we're dealing with, people. And and by the way, speaking about the Democrat Party, uh, you know, turning to non-believers and atheists. Let's go back to 2008 when in their Democratic National Convention in Charlotte, they booed God. They booed when they, they decided to keep God in the convention and stuff. They, they got booed. So we, we know and where that's that going. convention. Oh, yes. But they codified it in their platform. And I need people to know that. August 24th, 2019, the Democrats said that they will no longer cater to Christians or people of religious views 
Jews, Christians, Muslims, or anybody. You have to be pluralistic or not, or an atheist. And so when you are dealing with, we want to kick God out, they formalized that in 2019. And then you saw the results of the demonic spirits going on in 2020 during the, the riots. They want to call January 6th this, you know, uprising and this commission, but they did nothing in my city. People burnt down my city, downtown, broke glass, millions of dollars worth of damage. Black Lives Matter had a painting mural in front of the Capitol, protected by cones, you know, traffic cones, so that you couldn't even drive over it. Up until this year, up until recently, because the mayor is running for re-election, the mayor that bowed down and removed $80,000 out of our police budget after kissing that feet of Black Lives Matter here in Lansing, Michigan. I'm just telling you, that is what has been going on. The elections matter. And the integrity of the elections matter because you should be getting who you vote for. And so if you vote for someone and you know the people voted for them, it should not be stolen. And people need to make sure that there is integrity. We have integrity on our airlines. We don't worry about the shoe bomber anymore because now we have to take off our shoes. Some of us do and go through these channels of screening and intense screening identification in order to fly. Try to walk on a plane and say, I am who I am. And, and you will not get on the plane. You won't get past TSA. And yet for the most important aspects of our civic life, the election of our leaders, we, we don't want, the left does not want integrity. They want anyone and everyone to vote. A lot of people voted in Detroit, but 14% only vote of the population voted. That's a significant decrease in less than nine months later that people voted. Where are these turnout votes if all votes matter? You have these people who select an election and they coordinate their efforts to steal an election and to go out and ballot harvest. They, they are, uh, the dead are voting. We've got hundred year old people voting. You've got all of these things that are aberrations, statistically impossible. You're sending out 60,000 absentee ballots. You get 120,000 back. There is a problem. And that's and guess not what? making it up. I know. And this problem has to stop. You put a lot out there, Dr. Tarver. Thank you very much. Please tell people how they can reach you and about your organizations or anything that you would like to promote. Absolutely. So I can be reached at lindaleetarver.com, lindaleetarver.com. And I'm also uh, available um, through the Pure Integrity for Michigan Elections. Pure Integrity for Michigan Elections. That's a, a great uh, resource. It's a group of people that I met, and they are working on election integrity and coordinating efforts. They started out with about 10 people, and now they have close to 250 people in short term. And so um, lindaleetarver.com, I'm available to come and speak. I'm available for Lincoln dinners. I'm available to for motivational speakers. I'm available for book uh, signings. I have two books, uh, Died in the Wool, 
And I have Jesus Who Is Christmas Is Born available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Liberty Hill Press. Uh, you, you know, you've been doing great work, not only for here, but also for the kingdom. So uh, I, I love you as a sister in Christ and uh, pray for you and Clinton and the family. And you're always welcome to come on the show. Thank you for coming on and keep doing what you're doing. And hopefully when Arizona finally proves there was a uh, election fraud, the dominoes will fall. So thank you for well, coming we're, on. We're looking forward to it. Thank you. God bless you. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thanks you for the kind words. Dr. Linda Lee Tarver, everybody. Dr. Linda Lee Tarver, she's done great work in Detroit, trying to get Michigan straightened out. And I'm telling you, she, she knows her state was stolen and it's not the only one. Well, there you have it, everyone. First show in the books. I want to thank Morgan Brittany, Dr. Carol Swain, Tracy Beans, and Dr. Linda Lee Tarver for dropping all sorts of knowledge on us today. Uh, I thought it was an outstanding broadcast of information that you can take to your friends, to your relatives, to people in the circle of influence, so you don't have to argue or debate these. They just did it for you. Okay, so this podcast, once again, people can be heard. Available for download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Radio Influence, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And a great way to show your support for the show is by subscribing to the podcast, leaving it a rating and a review. And please be sure to tell your friends about the show. So until the next time, next Tuesday, God bless you, God bless your family, and God bless America.